I want to start by welcoming you all uh, this morning to this Professional Practice Alliance webinar. Um, thank you all for joining us. It's a lovely sunny morning, so I can understand why you might want to pop out and have a nice early morning walk. Um, so we, we feel very flattered you've chosen to join us. This morning's webinar, I'm hoping, is going to be reasonably unusual in the sense that we're trying to have quite an interactive session this morning. We're going to have some breakout sessions, we're going to have some polls, and I would encourage you also, if you've got um, thoughts, comments, observations, to either offer those via the chat function. If you want to raise your hands and sort of contribute directly, then you're very welcome to do so. I'm going to be holding the talking stick and sort of the, the master of ceremonies, just because it can be quite a clunky format via Zoom. Um, but, but please do let us know if you've got anything to contribute. We, we'd love to hear from you. I'm going to begin this morning, before we sort of get cracking on the topic itself, by introducing this morning's panellists, um, who were delighted to have join us. Um, our guest star this morning is Oliver Richards. He's a director at Orms, a leading architecture firm. I'm really thrilled that Oliver's joined us today for, for two reasons. The first one, because he is a founder and co-director of Orms. He launched the business, was it 1984, I think I saw on your That's online right, bio? Yeah. Um, so he has a wealth of experience of leading a professional services firm and understanding what it means to be a leader of a professional services firm. So we'll be able to offer us that perspective. But I'm also really excited to have him on the panel because he'll be able to offer his professional expertise and sort of talk to us about space, about planning, about architecture, all those things that, frankly, I have not the first idea about Oliver. So it's fantastic to have you here. And I was really excited to see that Oliver's, again, I've been sort of researching you behind your back. I was really Thank thrilled you. to see that he's really passionate about finding new uses and new ways of sort of bringing back to life commercial spaces and sort of finding new, new uses for old former commercial spaces and I think that's going to be a really fantastic perspective for a discussion like this in terms of understanding how you take existing space or existing kind of constraints and using that sort of innovative process to to really think widely around how you can use them and get the best from them. I'm also delighted to be joined by two regular uh, Professional Practices Alliance uh, panelists Beth Hale is a partner at CM Murray LLP. She'd be very familiar to you already, of course, but for those who don't know her so well, she's an employment law and partnership law expert. I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna really enjoy hearing from Beth this morning on sort of particularly some of the really tricky things like can an employer do these things? Should an employer do these things in terms of thinking about things from a cultural perspective and a legal perspective so that people understand the frameworks that professional practices are working within. And last but not least, we've got Rob Millard. Uh, Rob is from the Cambridge Strategy Group, and there's nothing he doesn't know about strategy, frankly, let's put it that way. Um, I, I know he's worn lots of hats in, in the past on sort of all sorts of different business strategy projects, but in, in latter years, as I understand it, really focused on the, on the legal services sector. So has a wealth of experience to bring to the discussion here on professional practices. One last housekeeping notice, actually. I wanted to thank everybody that's had the opportunity to participate in the survey that we, we launched via SurveyMonkey. We've got some really interesting data. We will be circulating that to the distribution lists for the respective um, alliance firms, and we might sort of draw on some of the data in this discussion. So thank you for everybody who, who did take the time to complete that. And I hope that you find that data and information useful in, in sort of formulating your own views of, of what the market is doing. So let's kick off with a, a quick fire question just to get our, our sort of creative juices flowing. I wanted just to call on each of the panelists to perhaps reflect on what has in large part been a 
pretty rubbish year. There are very few silver linings to a global pandemic, let's be frank. But I wondered if each of the panellists could share with us perhaps what they felt have been the silver linings. What, what benefits and advantages have we derived from this period during COVID? And what do we want to hang on to in the way that things have changed? And I wondered, Oliver, whether you'd mind kicking off for us. Well, I think every coin has got two sides and um, the, the silver lining comes in many forms. So we shouldn't forget that. The commute avoided, that's fantastic. But it also means that um, we have the same environment all the time and that's not so good. Our timekeeping, we started at 9.30.25 this morning. Um, timekeeping has become exact. Um, but the contrary to that is... Um, no, there are no nuances, and the nuances are actually a ra rather important in life. For me, I'm living out in the countryside, and I've appreciated the natural world in a way that I haven't before. I know what a skylark sounds like, and I didn't before. And I think there's been a huge increase in interest and knowledge about sustainability and the sensitivity of the world. And I think that's an enormous plus, actually. My fourth point is that I think we've been able to reassess what really matters for us personally. And if we haven't done so, so far, then we should write it down because you, know, you don't normally get these inverted commas sabbatical periods where you can think about what's really important. Thanks so much, Oliver. Um, I confess I don't know what a skylark sounds like, although perhaps demonstrating the difference between where you and I live. We did see a dead rat yesterday, so there we are. Uh, <laughs> I should regret having told everybody that, but there we are. Uh, <laughs> I wonder, Beth, whether you would mind sharing some of your silver linings with us. Yeah, well, just to echo, Oliver, I do live in central London, and I now know what a goldfinch looks like, which I didn't know previously. So, you know, even in uh, sunny Mile End, you get some natural life to, to observe in the lockdown. Um, but I think from a from a professional perspective, I think the key thing that professional firms have learned is the flexibility of their workforce, the ability to, from one day to the next for most firms, say, right, we're all in the office, we're all here together, this is how we work, to saying, right, you're all at home, deal with it, essentially, and, you know, everyone having to deal with this sudden change, and actually, to a large extent, that's happened incredibly smoothly and without much interruption to the service that firms provide to their clients, and I think that's been incredibly positive that you know you can see that people can be flexible that workforces can be flexible and that people can really deal with you know adversity and I think that's been incredibly positive um, and I think just learning that trust as well to know that your staff will you know they can work from home they will do their work things still get done and things still happen I think that's a real positive to take away from this and I think balancing how we and this is what we're going to come on to discuss but sort of balancing how that looks going forward and how the extent to which we take some of those positives and continue them and, and the extent to which we try and go back to what we had before is, um, I think, sort of balancing those is going to be really interesting in the months to come. Thank you, Beth. I, I quite agree. And I think that sort of question of, you know, the stakeholders, the clients and our people is something we're going to return to because it's a really important point. Rob? Yeah, just reinforcing, I think, what both Beth and Oliver have said, but not just the commute, just travel time as well. A couple of weeks before the lockdown, I, I, ha I have a client in Latin America, and it had taken me more than a day to get to them, and I'd spent two days with them, and then more than a day to get back. 
And so this, the, all, all this additional time, and, and who could forget those photographs that came out at the beginning of, of Beijing and, and, uh, and Los Angeles and even London without that gray haze. And, and, and so I think it has brought sustainability and particularly climate change to the front, but not only that, uh, other issues that have been festering, uh, not only in society, but in our firms for a long time. I think it gave people pause to contemplate those, uh, things like Black Lives Matter, things like Me Too. So just the whole way that we work and in our interpersonal relations, uh, I think it given us a chance to just step back and, and think about things that we would never have been able to think about in the same depth in the life that existed before. Thank you, Rob. That, that's really interesting. Um, we're going to kick off as well with a, a poll question this morning to sort of to hear from some of our attendees as well, albeit just through, through the medium of a poll. What I'm going to ask is if, Daniela, you wouldn't mind posting the first poll question, please. Thanks so much. And what we're asking uh, you to do is to predict what you think the long term future working arrangements will be at your firm. Now, I realise with a high proportion of, of lawyers here that every one of you will be going, but, but it's complicated. It's not as simple as the answers as I've put up there. And I, I know and that's why it's <laughs> deliberately vague there. Um, but if, if you've sort of got, got a prediction, um, it will be really interesting to hear from people. Um, we'll just have five more seconds on that. And then uh, Daniela, I wonder if you could um, pause that poll and see what we've got. Brilliant, fantastic. Well, that's really interesting. Um, we've got a, a sense here from the attendees that um, 75 percent or more of the workforce will be in the office, um, which is very interesting because when you look at the sort of the policies that are being now released by firms, particularly larger firms, there seems to be a trend for maybe 50-50, maybe 60-40. Obviously, it, it ranges from firm to firm. So it's really interesting that attendees um, have a sense that it's going to be sort of slightly higher than that. That's that's really interesting. Great. We also saw from our survey data actually that we produced that. Over half of the respondents there anticipated fee earners working 60% in the office, 40% at home, with really most of the, the rest of the respondents thinking the other way around. Again, the 60-40 split, either way, being really the, the largest proportion of people. <laughs> in terms of the support staff, again, it was kind of 60-40 in terms of office to home, but rather than it being flipped on the reverse so that there was more time at home, actually, the, the rest of the respondents tended to think that non-fee earners would be spending time in the office more regularly. So those figures that we've just seen from our poll seem to resonate sort of more with the support side of things um, that we saw from our, our survey in advance. But what I thought was particularly interesting from that particular data from the survey is that whilst about half of our respondents will treat partners in the same way as other fee earners, a significant minority, about 30%, say that partners will be treated differently. And it might be interesting to, in our discussions to work out what impact that might have on culture, if the different means better, more favorably, do what they want when everybody else isn't allowed to do what they want. So it'll be really interesting to see um, whether we think that partners will be exploiting their position as, as managers and owners or not in firms. So thank you for, for participating in that poll. I think that that data in the poll has shown us that there is going to be a new normal. I mean. We'll have to wait and see whether 75% or more um, in the office is going to be correct. But that's still quite different from the type of working arrangements that we were experiencing back in sort of early 2020 and, and prior to that in 2019 and before. Um, so I think we can say that there's going to be a new normal, use that horrible phrase, but it, it's true, there will be. And I wondered if I could just call on our panellists to talk us through um, some of the elements that are kind of bound up in that. And I wondered, Rob, if we could turn to you first and think about what the strategic considerations are going to be for firms 
at this time to ensure that we have alignment between the clients, because obviously we are nothing as professional firms without our clients, but also making sure that we can think about getting the best from our people too. Yeah, I, I think that's an incredibly important question. I mean, cl clearly a, a lot has changed in terms of client needs. Uh, a, a lot of the drivers that were in place before are still there and, and, and perhaps even more um, uh, stronger than they were before. But And, and then there are also needs that have been in, induced by COVID itself. Uh, so the communication with clients always did need to be more than just how's the current matter going. It, it did need to be more about how can we service you better, your needs better right now and, and how, how well do you think we're doing? Uh, and, and more granular, more qualitative about what are your needs? Uh, how are your needs evolving? What are your needs likely to be three years from now? How do we need to evolve? Uh, and so those conversations have become more important, if anything, than they were before. Uh, but it's only one side of the coin, because in an, a, a workforce where at least part of the people are dispersed, the, the, we, we, we've got these bottlenecks to con uh, communication. And uh, professional service firms are nothing more than aggregations of professionals that, that happen to work together better than they can work uh, separately, service client need better. And, and they run on the, 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 the petrol on which they run is information. And, and so uh, irrespective of how effective Zoom works at some levels, at other levels, it's horrible. Uh, it, it cannot replace face-to-face -face communication. So how do we compensate for that uh, from a strategic perspective? How do we get this information about what clients think uh, needs to be done in order to service their needs better? Uh, in an environment where we can't all get together face to face and have a have a brainstorm about it. I, I think this is something uh, where firms have been really good at how do we make the best out of these crazy circumstances we have right now and how do we compromise it? It needs to move from there to how do we really get the best out of our people going forward? Because unless the epidemiologists, 89% of the epidemiologists that Nature magazine recently surveyed are wrong, COVID is going to be with us forever. 89% believe that it's likely or highly likely that that is the case. We'll become more resistant to it, uh, but it's going to be with us forever and there will be outbreaks. So even if the, those firms where everybody goes back to the office, if we read headlines in six months time that there's been a local outbreak, everybody's going to want to work from home again. And I think firms need to be able to be to be able to pivot, uh, to be agile and resistant enough to be able to pivot really quickly to accommodate that. Um, there's a recent McKinsey paper that, that said that 70 percent of people across all industry groups define themselves, define their sense of purpose by their work. I think with professionals, that's high 90s. And, and we've also got this added layer that uh, the, the, the link with customers, with clients is far greater. So the communications that take place within the firm need to be able to equip the people in the firm to be able to deliver their best because there's nothing more, uh, there, there's probably nothing more stressful to a professional than feeling that they're not quite doing as well as they should, that their clients aren't quite being serviced as well as they should be, and especially if they feel they can't do anything about it. So I think strategically it's all about equipping the individuals to do as well as they can to perform and to contribute to meeting the firm's objectives. Thanks, Rob. And, and Oliver, I mean, how do we equip people in that way? Um, how do we use our space, um, for, for want of a better word, to kind of to support and enhance those relationships between people, whether those are kind of internal relationships or, or external relationships? 
I think Rob's answer um, about pivoting from an open environment to a, to a closed environment and that being a, a part of the future is something that we've all got to think about and experience and work out solutions. Um, what does that mean for cities as well, which are de dependent upon infrastructure, things like transport? If, if we don't use it, it, it will become so expensive for the, for the state when there are possibly reduced tax revenues. What, what's going to happen to that? But I think I, I would go back to, to people because cities are nothing without people and buildings are nothing without people. And we've all seen that. If you walk through the city of London at the moment, um, it's, a, it's a weird experience. Um, and cities are, we, we live in one of the best cities of the world. Um, how on earth have we come to this? But for, for me, a good building is one that supports a team. It, um, it's, um, it's enjoyable for people to, to, to be there. It gives them a sense of companionship. It's not just for solitary activity. And I think that that's a, a key issue that um, our offices are going to have to offer and support um, that, that companionship between people. And I think our, our workforce is going to be much more mobile in, in architecture. Half of my office were born abroad. Um, probably rather less for, for you all, but it it's, um, means that they could work completely anywhere. So how do we keep hold of, um, of people? Offices are going to have to be attractive places, and I will come on to this later, I'm sure, but I, I think we've all got to look at our offices with fresh eyes. One of the best ways of doing that is to take someone, to walk around it with someone who doesn't know the place. Um, and to um, really interrogate how it works and perhaps do that when there are no people there and when there are people there and evolve a solution. Um, I don't think there are any magic bullets in, in all of this. We need to each evolve solutions for our own businesses that will work and support and make our people really enjoy coming to work. And so when, when it closes down again in a year's time or whatever, um, people will want to um, get out of that lockdown stage as quickly as possible and come back to the office because that is where the ultimate prosperity, I do believe, is within our businesses. Thank you. That I mean, that's really interesting. And I think probably a lot of people here today will, will resonate, will find that those comments resonate. I mean, we've all got examples of colleagues who were absolutely chomping at the bit to be back in the office and and sort of saying ah yes well I, I need to be in the office you know looking at the government's guidance and saying yes I have an absolute business need to be in the office and other people going really do you but you know that their drive is so strong but there is the opposite end of the spectrum as well those people who are saying the government are saying work from home of course we must work from home you know it's not that bad you know I'm, I'm very comfortable and, and happy working from home and I, and I don't feel that drive to be in the space um, and, and I guess, Beth, that, that leads me on to this next question, which is really, once firms have sort of determined what they perceive to be kind of the optimum approach for their business, and it could take time to get there, of course, I mean, to what extent can they drive that agenda and sort of impose their agenda on their people and their, their clients to an extent? I'm thinking more about people here. Um, what if their decision making is at odds with a large proportion or even a small proportion of their workforce. I mean, I, I don't want to imply that we're going to be making people do what, what they don't want to do. But if you've decided what you think is best for the business and you find you have some resistance, well, what is it that businesses can do or, or should businesses be doing anything about that? 
Uh, so I think that's a that's a really good question. I think it's a it's a challenge that lots of professional firms will be facing over the next few weeks and months is how to manage uh, the return to the office, how to bring their people with them, because absolutely a firm can determine what its best strategy is and what it what sort of it what what their business looks like post pandemic. And as Rob says, we're, we're, it's not going anywhere. But you know, post pandemic and as as much as we can possibly imagine what that looks like and, and they can determine what works best for their business but you know the, actually bringing your people with you you talk about be, you know being at odds with your people well, what you really want is to have everybody on board and you know and, and understanding why your strategy is is what it is um, and I think that will be there will be a long process of discussion communication consultation with people to to get people on board but I think ultimately the the managers of a business as with any other um, element of, you know, as with any other business decision, they're, they're, they're the people ultimately in charge. And if that, you know, ultimately, if that involves imposing um, rules on people, then that that's what will happen. But I think that it, you know, no no employer wants to be the one saying you have to do this. And particularly where I think employers are in a really unenviable position because the law on, you know, can you force someone to come back to the office? Can you require people? Sorry, you were just saying about whether you can force people yeah, to, to, to be in the office or not. Absolutely. So the law on all of those things is pretty uncertain. And I think that, you know, the, the government is saying it's kind of up to employers what you do about vaccinations, other than in certain certain industries like care homes, but kind of up to employers what they do about testing, kind of up to employers what you do about attending the office. And I think so employers have a lot of really difficult decisions to make without without any real hard law on, on what is the right decision. Um, so I think, you know, can you force people to attend the office? Well, I think the answer to that is probably yes if you have done all the correct covid covid safety measures you've put in place a risk you've had done a, done a risk assessment put in place a you know all the safety measures that you're advised yeah. to do and that are recommended but it you know do, are you really going to say to people we'll discipline you we'll we'll dismiss you if you don't come it's it's a really difficult balance and it's a really difficult employee relations problem yeah i i can absolutely see that and i think that vaccination question is going to, going to be really interesting because um i think We've obviously had the fantastic news this week that we've sort of got through in the UK a, a lot of the sort of the the kind of the first nine, which sort of tends to be the more senior people in the business, just by by definition, the longer you've been there, the older you are. So a lot of the more senior people, the leaders may have been vaccinated, but the the non-leaders, the sort of the more junior cohort are unlikely to have been vaccinated. But you know, balance that against the fact that they are um at lower risk uh, looked at in the round. And so I think that's going to add an extra sort of level of um tension to that discussion there's the question of yeah divergent views in the organization divergent views amongst the workforce um other people wanting information about whether their colleagues have been vaccinated where there mm. are protection issues around what you can share and what you can't share who you know what what you can tell whom and in what circumstances it's really it's i think it's a really really complicated landscape and that the the problem is that the a lot of the law around this was not was not drafted with a pandemic in mind so none of it is kind of quite fit for purpose so you're, you're going to see a lot of sort of wedging covid claims employment claims potentially and you know discrimination claims things like that into a, a framework which isn't quite meant for for this kind of situation yeah and, and that will be fascinating as well because i think we might see claims in a situation where 
kind of the economic impact of COVID will hit and therefore people will find them in situations that they didn't wish to find themselves in and they will be sort of clutching at straws perhaps yeah. um, and, and so you know add that already. in you know go ahead sorry no so we're, we're seeing the beginnings of that already so there are some claims starting to come through but it's not you know it's not an ideal situation that, that all of this should be determined by individuals enforcing rights in in employment tribunals you know it's it's, no. it's a difficult really really difficult scenario yeah, and perhaps we'll come on to it a bit later on, but if we think about it in a partner context and sort of the partners, I mean, how long do you spend, uh, how long do partners get to sort of turn the, the, the tanker of their practice around? Because you can't say, you know, well, you've had a bad month, therefore you're out, because that's not how partnerships work. But equally, you know, is is a year long enough? Um, is it two years? Does COVID count? Do you discount that year? And all those questions yeah. around partner performance and partner contribution and how the business has had to evolve, have partners kept up, all those things are, are going to be sort of chucked in the mix on all of that. Yeah. I think, right, let's um, let's pause there because I quite like everybody to have the opportunity to talk to each other. Um, as I said, what we're going to do is we're going to break um, the, um, the group of attendees into uh, breakout rooms. In a moment, Danielle behind the scenes is, is splitting us into, into small groups. In a moment, I'll, I'll ask her to press go and you'll be invited to join a breakout session. You'll be in groups of maybe five or six, something like that. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention in a moment what I suggest we talk about. And then uh, at the end of the session, you'll get an invitation to um, either leave the breakout room or if you don't click leave breakout room, um, then you'll be sort of zapped back out of the, the breakout room against your will um, within 60 seconds. So you'll get you'll get a, a minute just to finish off your discussions. We'll give you about five, five seven minutes, something like that, to discuss the, the topics together. Um, I think in terms of what I suggest you talk about in your little breakout groups, um, we were thinking it might be interesting to think about how working practices will change and how you think your business is going to sort of adapt to promote efficiency and productivity the whole point of this session is to is to give people that mingling opportunity that, we, that has been sorely lacking from our last year of, of professional lives so um and, and just to warn you um if the groups are very oddly balanced because for example you've got all the panelists in one room or you've got everybody from the same firm in, in one room daniela might manipulate the otherwise random rooms just to zap people in and out so if somebody disappears it's not because they got bored and left you it's because daniela has been working behind the scenes so so daniela if we can let's let's split out now thank you very much great thank you everybody um we'll just bear with us for a couple of moments while everybody gets zapped back into this this main session thank you very much um Lovely. I very much enjoyed the opportunity to, to chat to some different people. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, <laughs> it's just like the real world. Um, I, I, I hope that you, you um, all found that um, interesting. I, I know it wasn't terribly long. Is there anything that um, anybody would like to share either via the chat function in terms of themes that came out of your discussions or would any of the panelists like to just share just briefly anything that, that came out of the discussions in their small groups with a, a, any sort of um, comments, thoughts, observations on, on the topics we discussed? Yeah, there was just one issue, uh, Yildiz Betes raised that uh, right at the end, uh, which is a gender issue. And then that is that working from home, women tend to be far less visible and, and they'll be even less visible if everybody's going back to the office and they tend to stay at home. And how do we make sure that that doesn't lead to discrimination, um, even if uh, inadvertently? Mm, absolutely, yes. Flip side to that, Rob, which is the, is is a which is not something we discussed in our breakout room, but it's something I've been thinking about more generally, is that 
actually a, a potential positive of, of the last year is that that actually working from home might become less of a gender issue and that, that you know you might see men and women working from home and and that, that it becomes less of a discrimination and gender issue and that actually it becomes more normalized and so that you know if, if everyone's doing a bit of working from home then then it's no longer an issue around you know particularly women doing it for childcare reasons or other reasons but if everyone's doing doing it a little bit more it just becomes more normal and that you know that I think that that can only be a positive but I, I agree with you there is a risk that it goes the other way but. Um, the timetabling of how people overlap and making sure that the um, you have the right people meeting with the right people um, if, if you're only on 50% of the time, I think um, is going to be very, very complex. We talked about evolving solutions and not rushing into it. We talked about um, the types of refurbishment activity that many companies may be doing and um, I think companies will want a quick response, will want to be able to demonstrate quickly that they have listened, that this is a new working environment. So uh, there's lots of imponderables that mean you have to evolve your own particular solutions. I think that's right. And I think that the cat is out of the bag in many respects. So whereas before, whether you're male or female, you might have been happy working till 9pm every night and only really seeing your children at the weekend, say. Um, we've now adapted to a world where we see our children and spend valuable time with our children every day. Um, and therefore, I think that um, I think that it's going to be more challenging now for people and, and for children to adapt to a situation where they don't have their parents around so much. So I, I think that that evolution will be forced by the fact that we've all got used to spending time together. Um, whether or not that's an advantage or a disadvantage, we can discuss in a separate session because I, I, I sort of flick between the two in terms of the amount of time I have to spend with my children. But there we are. Um, okay, I think now, while we're sort of thinking about issues in, in the larger group, I wonder whether, um, Daniela, we could go to the uh, next poll question, please. Um, because we've talked about working arrangements, but let's focus now on space. And I wondered whether as businesses, you've had the chance to wonder yet about how your office space needs are going to change and whether you've formed a view yet on, on whether they are going to change. Great, so Daniela, if we, that's lovely, if we, let's see. So interestingly, there's, that's really interesting, isn't it? That actually people don't think strongly either more or less space. It's going to be a question of kind of re reconfiguring what, what we've already what we've already got. That's really fascinating. Uh, I wonder if that's because um, <laughs> that's easy, as in you know you, you've got your existing space, you're stuck with what you've got because leases are quite quite long, or the people feel that that's what we really um, what we really need as businesses and what serves our clients and our people. And I wonder, Oliver, if we could turn to you now. Um, whether we can have a think about what firms should be considering when they're thinking about their workspaces and, and I do mean both kind of the central workspace kind of the traditional office and also remote workspaces because it's clearly going to be a mix of both and and with the objective of kind of recruiting and retaining good people and, and also being able to deliver brilliantly to the firm's clients. Well um, we've, we've talked about this before people 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 um, a sense of community. What is it that creates that sense of community? Um, and I do think if, if you can do a, a walk through your existing premises in lockdown, when it's empty, 
with a fresh pair of eyes, not just your eyes, do it with someone else, someone who is outside of the firm um, and who, who can ask those silly questions. Um, because I think you've got to see it through fresh eyes um, in order to come up with a fresh, fresh solution. Um, I always like, um, I used to design lots of gyms um, for homes, a company called Homes Place particularly. Um, but I always, when I designed a club, I thought about the tour that the salesperson would give, how you would walk through it. Um, and what do you look for? What, what are you, um, if you're a fresh person wanting to join your firm, this firm, um, what are you going to, to be looking for? Um, and it's, um, you, you're looking for people who are succeeding at what they're doing, for enjoying what they're doing, being sociable, all of those sorts of things. So um, buildings need to support people. And I, I think there's going to be a lot, lot less hot desking. People hate hot, hot desking almost, almost universally. Um, and they are looking for inspiration. Um, where does that come from? It comes from spaces where people come together um, in whatever way. And part of that is curating the social activities that we do that we haven't been able to do online. Um, and I, I think we, we need to all ramp up that, um, the, the community activities that we do. I think that's a, a really valid observation, Oliver. Thank you very much. I wonder if, if we could sort of exploit your expertise just a little further and think about some of the practical ways we can do it. Because I'm, I remember from, from years ago, sort of the initiatives like, well, let's put a pool table in or a basketball hoop or lots of awkward beanbags, which sounded like a good idea in terms of spaces, but actually were kind of fairly ineffective and, and just made it all very awkward. Um, and again, hot desking people hate it but if you're only in the office 50% of the time or 40% of the time does everybody get a desk is that how do you how do you manage in practice those kind of competing parts and and as you say curate um somewhere that people want to be um what a difficult question to ask in the, <laughs> to, to the, in the general um i i think we need to think about the acoustics because um buzz is what um, we, we like. We like being surrounded by the right level of noise and that will be at different, at different um, levels in, in different places and in di different times. I think people are going to want to be able to find spaces that they feel comfortable with. So mm. um, you're either in a meeting or, or you're at your desk or you're having lunch is not enough. I think we need to have more subtlety in how we create those spaces where people can find um, an environment that's quite, quite different from their homes. Because why do you come to work? You come to, to, to work because it's ex exciting, it's inspirational, it's different from, from, from what your home is. Um, it, it gives you energy. It's um, an aspiration for the future. And that's what um, a building needs to convey. And that's why I said, go and look at what you've got at the moment. Think about it hard. How could that be transformed? Not just faddish and beanbag corners or whatever. I mean, it might be that someone really yeah. loves beanbags. And if you've got people who um, are keen on sitting on beanbags, then absolutely go for it. But, uh, um, not faddish solutions, genuine bringing people together, creating a community. I think that's a, a, a really great observation. And that sort of distinction between home and office, I think, is a really important one. I mean, I have 
curated my Zoom background, as you might imagine, but sort of there are four bikes over there in the shed and that's not something I'm looking for in, in the office. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, as you say, it's, it's kind of that sort of uncluttered environment that, that um, is something I do like about our office environment. I'm going to um, suggest that we perhaps just break into breakout rooms again, because I think it would be really great if we have the opportunity to hear from each other on the question of space. Um, and I think um, Daniela in the background is sort of putting us into little random groups again. Um, let's just think about the question of whether you're going to change your workspaces and how and what objectives you're trying to achieve in, in doing that. Great. Welcome back, everybody. We'll just give everybody a moment to, to, to rejoin the main session. Lovely. I think that's probably everyone now. Great, fantastic. Um, well, well, thank you again for your, your contributions. Again, some really fascinating um, insights from, from the people I was chatting to. And my favourite uh, new fact is in Canada, you don't refer to hot desking, you refer to hoteling, which I think, I mean, that gives a real sort of kind of prestige feel to, to hot desking, I think. So, so maybe that's the route we need to go down. Is there anything that anybody else would like to, to share from the discussions that, that came out of their um, small groups? Just the use of technology. Uh, the, 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 there is so much amazing kit out there at the moment to be able to knit the virtual workspace with the real workspace. These big multi-touch, multi-display screens, and even virtual uh, virtual reality kit. Uh, very shortly, I, I know some PwC has been doing some interesting stuff with that. So uh, thinking about the technology, thinking also about the the, the restaurant areas, uh, making them more like high-end lounges and, uh, and and spaces that can be used outside of meal times. Mm, I think that's that's a, re a really good point. And, and I've you know, spent time in other people's offices where you sort of go in and it's not so much a, a reception area, the reception desk, but as you say, sort of a lounge feel, it's, it has got a very relaxed sort of way and you can almost sort of begin connecting with people right from the moment that you sort of enter the into the environment and they're very carefully curated. Is, is that a sort of a common theme, Oliver, would you say in, in spaces that are being designed and, and created now? Um, I think technology is absolutely going to become more and more important and big screens. Um, so if, if you've got a, a, a meeting with real people around the table and you've got others on the screen, then you need to establish as, as equal a balance as you possibly can and proximity is, is going to be very important. Um, Zulon made interesting point um, that the visibility of certain members of the staff has shifted. And there mm. were some people who were out of the office before, but now they're much more on an equal, um, an equal footing. And that visibility, if you are spending a lot of time out of the office, ne needs to be managed, needs to be curated. I think that word's a really good one and very relevant. Um, yes. To allow firms to evolve solutions that are right for them and to keep on reassessing those because this is people's attitudes are changing to, to life um, and maybe that will mean that we talk to each other much more about things about things that aren't work and perhaps there should be spaces within our new offices that are really focused on how to make our businesses and our people and our collaboration work better. Mm. I think that's a really interesting point. And, and actually, some of the um, well-being initiatives that were um, communicated through the survey in terms of what people have tried to try and sort of maintain um, some kind of sense of the kind of the sense of collegiality, cohesion, trying to keep people sane when they've been so sort of isolated, particularly where people have lived on their own. So when we circulate the survey data, do, do have a look at have a look at that to see um, if and there's I any just... ideas there that might resonate 
the, the people I really feel for are the young people who live in small flats and you know, most of the people on this call probably live in relatively large houses and um, that's that's a great privilege and we're the lucky ones but there are an awful lot of people and particularly with the half of our workforce who were born abroad um, you know they're living in small flats in central London and it, it makes you go stir crazy yeah and then so and we, looking we after them and letting yeah. them learn from others yeah uh, and we haven't touched on the, the technical issues but there'll be uh, I, I see here from, from the names that there are a number of people who advise on things like tax they'll be jumping up and down saying don't let them work abroad um you'll end up with management and control issues they'll be establishing permanent establishments and all sorts so so on the one hand as a business you want to say yes of course work from spain we're, we're delighted for you to do that you know if you're spanish that makes a lot of sense and on the other hand you, you know the, the tax practitioners who who are here will be going don't do it don't sign an engagement letter when you're in spain it's it's disaster waiting to happen and you know kind of get getting that balance right and and there is some rules you really do need to be careful of to avoid doing things by accident of course i mean fine if you think spain is the right place for a new sort of outpost fantastic do it um i, I wanted to pick up on a, a comment that had come through the 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 chat function um picking up on the um the point that i highlighted from the survey data along the lines of the differentiation between the treatment of partners and um, staff and other team members um, and I think that person quite rightly points out that okay if the partners want to be in the office more um, but um, that, that's okay if they want to sort of to be more visible and be there more but if the suggestion from that data is that the partners get a, a level of flexibility that isn't afforded to other team members then that's a, a recipe for disaster <laughs> um, and, and I think I can, I can absolutely see that um, and I think it's a, it's a point which is very well made. Um, I, just before we sort of move on to asking the panelists for, for one final point, are there any other questions or comments that uh, people uh, were hoping we might cover in this session? I was just going to share something on uh, the sort of whole meeting, holding of Great. meetings with some people off, off, you know, out of office and in the office. And one of the things that we found and we want to admire organisation, we want to try going forward is that whether you're in the office or you're at home, it would still be held as a, an online meeting so that everyone's on the same footing. Um, so you can, you'll dial in from your desk. You don't need to congregate in a meeting room to do that. So it's interesting because on one hand, we say we all want to congregate in these spaces, but actually we find that meetings work better because everyone's able to contribute equally because then regardless of where they are, if we all dial into the meeting where they are sitting right in the office next to the person, you know, you're attending the yeah. meeting with, and we want to try that going forward because we have such a dispersed workforce over multiple countries and we find that it's only the people at head office that ever get heard so we want to try and remove that um, and see whether that continues to work because it's working really well now and then the other thing which I raised on our in our breakout room which um, I, I'd be interested to find out how the people because again there's a lot of focus on collegiate spaces and spaces of collaboration and I think we do need that but I think that people also need space to themselves, especially, you know, having worked from home and found that, you know, you're not being distracted by a lot of people all the time. So, you know, I've read articles saying that this might be the death of the open plan office, especially from a disease spreading kind of scenario, but also from a just, we need thinking space. So, you know, I know there's a lot of focus to opening up spaces and, you know, collaborating all the time, but you also need to get away from that from time to time. So, yeah. See how that evolves. 
I think those are fantastic observations and I think there's so much kind of relevance to them and it sort of goes full circle back to some of the points that Rob made right at the outset in the sense of you've really got to think about what your business needs and what your plant needs and what your people need. So to, to your example about the global globalised workforce and, and the benefits that you've, you've experienced from COVID, I think, I think that's, and I think it's admirable that you as a business are saying, right, let's try these different things, let's give it a go because I fear that with a lot of businesses, we might fall into the trap of saying this is the way it used to be and let's just go back to it because that's the easiest way to deal with it and, and I think it's probably a bit too far down the road to, to, to do that. Um, so just as we're sort of wrapping up, I'm conscious of time, I wonder if I could invite the um, panellists um, and, and looking at the time, you're going to get less than a sentence each I'm afraid, to, um, to just wrap up by saying, telling us if, if we were suddenly uh, faced with another lockdown, for the whole another year like last year and hopefully we won't end up there but if we were what what would we what would we miss maybe um beth um yeah so i think the key thing is human interaction so and the ease of collaboration that you get in the office right uh rob more of the little coffee shops and secondhand bookstores and other little shops that have gone bankrupt uh, with the first lockdown i really worry about them Thanks, Rob. And Oliver? <clears throat> um, I, I would go a bit further away from the coffee shops and get into a theatre. And um, mm. I, I think the arts and the culture is actually what makes London into a great city. And, and probably most of us are. Um, London is the premier world city, in my view. And it's so because of culture, and we've forgotten about that. And um, I would really worry in a year's time. So. We need to support that and sponsor it and make sure that um, those things are there um, in a future world. That's, that's fantastically interesting. Maybe our next Alliance webinar ought to be some sort of um, cultural event we'll put on, you know, we'll get some sort of out of work actors, pay them to come and sort of do a reading for us or something, um, keep them going. Well, well thank you all. Um, just, to, just to wrap up, first of all, thank you for you all, to, to you all for, for participating. It's, um, it's really great that you were able to sort of to come into those little groups and to share your, your thoughts with one another. Um, I wanted to thank the panelists, um, Rob, Beth and, and Oliver, particularly for joining us as, as our special guest. Uh, we will circulate um, a copy of the survey data, um, so you'll get the opportunity to, to um, review that in slightly more detail and, and hopefully use it to, to build some of your own plans or just to understand what other people are doing. Um, but but um, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you so much.